I'm going to read from James 2, 14 through 26, and then finishing with 5, verses 19 and 20. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone will say, You have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, and you do well. Even demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not our father, our father Abraham justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that the faith was active along with the works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to, to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from the works is dead. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Thank you, God, for your word. Pray right now you'd settle us in and give us ears to hear, hearts to be open. Holy Spirit, guide, lead. We are completely submitted to you and your way. We're here to encounter you, Jesus, and be changed for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Growing up, faith in Jesus for me meant that I could pretty much live my life the way I, I wanted to. And as long as I, I believed and said at some point that God was my Savior, then I, I was saved. And, and really, when it came down to it, there was two things that I, I thought that meant, being saved. One, I wasn't going to go to hell when I died, so my future was completely secure. And then two, Christianity was my kind of like religious affiliation, and I only needed to make it known when absolutely necessary, if that makes sense. For instance, I remember I, I used to be in the military. I had dog tags, and I had a choice, like what religion do you pick? And like Christianity was like, all right, I'll, I'll choose Christianity. And, and yet, I, I never actually spent any time uh, really a part of a church family. I didn't ever really read the Bible, much less even own one. And I, I did a lot of things in my life that the Bible and Jesus definitely were opposed to um, in, in the way I lived my life. And I, I didn't say anything wrong with having that affiliation, thinking about that about my future, and living the way I was living. I just didn't, it, it didn't make a difference to me. It seemed like it was totally fine and, and normal. Interestingly enough, however, like my neighbor, I have one of my neighbors it thinks a bit different on this, but it, it all plays in together. For my neighbor and a friend I've been actually getting to know over the past year and a half, for him, faith in Jesus is, is living out your convictions the best you possibly can on a day-to-day -day basis, and then you're, you're good to go with God. 
And sure, you might mess up at times. Nobody's perfect. But seriously, try the best you can at helping and serving others and caring for others. And and you're going to go to heaven one day. And as far as other people go too, they choose, they can also choose uh, even another rule to live by or a religion to live by. It doesn't have to be Christianity, but as long as they work out their convictions the best they can and it's helpful for others, they're good to go with God in heaven. And in either description, the reason why I share these is, is you, you don't find a love and trust for Jesus or a desire to obey him based on love for him. And, and there, there's no recognition of Jesus as, as a real person who is present and he, and he calls you to have this deep intimacy with him. And, and within that relationship, there's no recognition that he's Jesus who is Lord over all life, including all of yours, while there's, uh, there's no desire to or expectation that we are to expend our lives for his sake, sacrificing and serving and being responsible for other people, all for the sake of Jesus which is what the Bible tends to say quite a bit about what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus. And so what's, what's interesting to me is that even in our culture, it's just as easy for us to choose our religion as it is easy in our minds to choose how we take that religion, like Christianity, and work best and make it work best for our lifestyles and fit it into what we think is best. And be fine with that. And maybe some of you are here this morning and, and you hold to one of these views. Or maybe like me, you used to hold to one of these views. And, but if we're all actually honest, if, even if we've been walking with Jesus for some time, like me, you might still struggle with falling into some of these views. And here at Soma Tacoma, we, we believe that justification, how one is made right with God, happens by faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Justify, like I said, it means to be declared righteous with God. It's the beginning of a true relationship with God. And it happens by grace. It's Jesus' work, not our work. And so therefore, works aren't what saves you. Faith does, and even faith is a gift from God, Paul's saying. And this is what we hold to. But in our passage today, James is asking this question in agreement with what we're reading in Ephesians. James is asking this question. How do we know what saving faith looks like? How do we know what saving faith looks like? To get more personal, how do I know if I have saving faith? And then there's this other question, too, in light of the passages we're working through this morning. How do I know if someone I'm close to, someone I love, a family member, a a dear friend, a close friend or a close neighbor, has saving faith? How do I know that? How do we know that as a church? And that's what we're going to be addressing this morning as we're going through this passage. We start off with chapter 2, verse 14. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? James uses works here in in a general sense to refer to actions done in obedience to Jesus. So when you, the idea of works and how James uses in his letter, the idea you should have in your mind is obedience in Jesus. He's not referring to merely doing good things versus bad things. It's more fundamental. It's about obeying Jesus or not obeying Jesus. That's what he's getting at here. And James also uses the word saved here, and he uses it not merely just at the entry point, like the conversion experience, but it's much broader and futuristic. He's talking about 
the salvation, believers will ultimately be delivered from sin and death that will take place when Jesus returns. In other words, faith isn't just a one-time experience, but it takes us all the way to and through God's judgment at the end of the world when, uh, when Jesus returns and makes all things new. 1 Peter 1.5 is a, a reference for that. Who by God's power we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's using salvation the same way that James is using it. And the question James is asking, for someone who says they have faith in Jesus but does not obey Jesus, can they really be saved on the day of judgment? That's what James is like putting out there. And James, he's asking this rhetorically, and he answers it by the, uh, this question by the illustration he gives us, verses 15 and 16. The person in James' example is a poorly dressed and a, constantly, a person who's constantly in need of food. And it's, it's like running uh, into someone who is homeless here in Tacoma. But the difference is, it, it's someone you actually, uh, you know. It, it's a brother or sister, James says, who is a part of the community, the church family. Uh, you're in great need. It's like someone who's in our missional community, if you're part of that, or just part of this greater community that God's called us to. And the best we offer this person in great need is some pious words. Go in peace, or literally, it means, I, I wish you well. Right? They're in great need, and you just you say some words, I wish you well. And the words themselves here, they're not the issue, because not the words are bad in them themselves. It's, those are good words. But it's how these words can act as a cover-up for the failure to act on behalf of someone who's in need that's a part of your family. It, it isn't helpful or caring to our brother and sister. A failure to provide for their, those in need, it actually hurts those that are needy. But also, what James is getting at, it raises the question in which uh, we're, we're talking about this morning. Can this person who doesn't obey Jesus really have true faith in Jesus? Can they really have a relationship with Jesus? It, 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 just to illustrate this further, it's like me overlooking the basic needs of my own family, my little kids. Wasn't, didn't clothe them, didn't provide them food. I could tell you all day long I love them, but you guys are going to fire back with what? You don't love them. You're not caring for them, right? I, I hope you would. I hope you would, right? And God in Jesus has come to make one new family where God is our caregiver. He cares for us, and he calls us to care for one another in the, in the way in which he's cared for us. And to look and see this act of lack of mercy and care uh, is, is very inconsistent with God. It's very inconsistent with his family. It just doesn't make sense. There's a big miss there. And that's kind of what's going on here. How we treat one another in his family reveals the nature of our relationship with God. Do we really know him? If we would treat someone that way, that's in our family. And therefore, James says in verse 17, a faith that lacks obedience to Jesus, he he says, is useless. It's inactive. It really doesn't help. In other words, he's saying faith does not produce obedience to Jesus. It's not really saving faith. And then in verse 18, James tells us the reason faith without works can't possibly save. And he says this, it's because... Faith and works are actually inseparable. They're inseparable. James, he's, this is really important, he's not giving us alternative options in our approach to God. Like there's a faith option and there's a work option. That's not what he's getting at here. All of us actually have faith and all of us actually have works. We all have both. The question is, is does our faith in Jesus lead us to obey Jesus? Because our works actually reveal who or what we're putting our faith in. Obedience to Jesus reveals faith in Jesus. 
a lack of obedience to Jesus, it reveals a lack of faith in Jesus. Jesus often uh, uses a tree-bearing fruit metaphor to describe what James is talking about here. The fruit of your life, the fruit of your life, the activities and behaviors of your life, reveals the root of your belief. The root, and the root of your belief, it produces the fruit of your life. You look at it that way. So if you look at this, if you have, if you have false faith, useless faith, it will produce a lack of obedience in Jesus. If you have true faith, what James is saying, you will have, uh, a, it, will, it will produce obedience in Jesus. And then in verse 19, James illustrates this point by comparing this person that he seems to be in objection with, that's a kind of an imaginary person, with the faith of demons. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. James is writing to Jewish Christians, and this profession of faith, God is one, would be very common in that group. And for us today, perhaps, what would be maybe a more common profession of faith would be Jesus is God and Savior. Maybe that might be something we might profess and say. And what James is saying, the demons are perf- perfect in their illustration of what it means the, to actually be poor in, in the sense of, 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 of lacking obedience, and yet being able to profess and know uh, exactly truths, exact truths about God. Demons know the truth. They're about as orthodox in their knowledge as you can get, and yet it's not true faith because it doesn't actually lead into obedience in Jesus, which is very sobering to think about. And this is why you might, we can have people who have been a part of the church for a really long time, or a seminary student who studies rigorous theology very exact with, with really sound and true and good theology, or pastors who can articulate very well Christian doctrine and yet in their life have no real desire to obey Jesus because they're actually not being governed by real faith. Real faith isn't working in them. But yet they can say words that are, sound just perfect. They're right. They are, and they are right. Merely professing faith, it doesn't always equal real faith. Because you can profess faith, it doesn't mean you have real faith. James says that, that demons shudder, and I think, and this is my thinking on this, I, I think he, he is being probably a, b- a bit ironic. I can't prove that for sure, but, but demons at least display some kind of reaction to their dead faith. They shudder, and, and they're fearful of the one, I believe, in whom they're disobeying. They realize what they're doing. And I think James is putting that out there as a way to kind of sober us up, like even though these guys' faith is dead, they, they have a reality of who they're disobeying. This is serious, right? There's a disobedience to God. And then James moves us into verse 20 and 21, and James explains how faith without obedience is, is useless in how he talks about the story of Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? It was the fulfillment of God's promise. For some of you guys who might not know Abraham, um, to Abraham that created Israel as a nation. It was through Abraham. And descendants of Abraham, that phrase became kind of a standard way to designate the people of God. Like they're, they're descendants of Abraham. And James, what he's doing here, he highlights one of the most famous episodes in Abraham's life. The offering of his son Isaac, which you can find in Genesis 22. And in a test of Abraham's willingness in this scene, which, I, man, you guys should read it if you get the chance. 
But in a test of Abraham's willingness to obey the Lord, God called on Abraham to offer in sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Who, which is a big deal because through Abraham's whole journey, this son was the promised son that was going to be, which is the foundation for these descendants Israel would come from. So it's just crazy. God's calling him to do this. And the climax of the story, Abraham is about to slay his son on the altar that he made. You just imagine that. You're looking at your son, your child, he's getting ready to slam. And, and, and all of a sudden, right before he's about to go through with it, he stopped. Angel stops him. And, and spares his life. Now, in case this is the first time you might have heard this, that this kind of stuff is in the Bible, I want to make really, really clear. This is a unique story in the redemptive history of God with a unique purpose. This isn't a common practice that God calls uh, people to. Uh, and, and it actually, the Bible could, uh, does not condone uh, children's sacrifices. I just want to be really clear on that. There's a deeper point going on here. And, and one of those big points we're talking about this morning is this story is an amazing act of obedience. That faith produced. Now, something to be clear on, when James says he was justified, Abraham was justified by works, some, some of you might be wondering, well, I thought we just said it's faith alone. How is he justified by works? Now, what we need to remember, James isn't disagreeing. He is saying the same thing, but he's going about it in a different way. He's going about it in a different way. He is showing in Abraham the kind of works produced by real faith. Real faith. That's what he's trying to say. This is what faith produces, this kind of stuff. And in verse 22, he says, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. So James says that Abraham's faith is completed by works. He's going into the explanation about what he means by being justified by works. To be completed, uh, you can also use the word goal. And the reality is, is faith reaches its intended goal when we obey God in what he wants us to do. That makes sense. Faith and works, they cooperate together. Faith is an active force along with obedience. And James illustrates that point in the next verse, verse 23. That's why he says, James says, this is what's happening with Abraham. In verse 23, he says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. Abraham had faith in God, you could say that. Believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. See, James, what he's doing is he's quoting Genesis 15, 6. This is where, before Abraham did anything, like the sacrifice of Isaac or anything, Abraham was justified by God, but declaring him as righteous, and Abraham believed God and had faith in that. And James is saying Abraham's faith that's recorded back in Genesis 15, 6 was being fulfilled, it was being completed. The, uh, the faith was reaching its intended goal, its purpose, in his willingness to sacrifice his son out of obedience to God. Does that make sense? And this is why Genesis 22, we see that the angel reasserted to Abraham, now I know you fear God. Because the faith produced an actual work that says, yes, I do, I I obey God because I believe God. See, the act completed the faith because the faith produced the act. The root of his faith led to a fruit of obedience. And James is saying that God's declaration of Abraham's righteousness, it became the mode. It's the way Abraham, his life was characterized. He was a friend of God. If God made him right, then he would strive to live his whole life as a man who looks to be right with, like, who, li- who, who lives a life that is right with God, who wants to obey God, who wants to please God. And that's what James is getting at after, is after that declaration of righteousness, what 
does a person's life look like? What's their mode of operation in light of already being declared righteous? He would, and even in Abraham's case, giving up your only son. This is why Abraham is a great example of what it means to be friends with God as opposed to the world. Abraham's obedience reveals he has true faith. Now, I'll be honest with you, when I wrestle with this, it's crazy when you compare it to our modern-day sacrifices to, to obey. I have so much to grow in, in this personally when I, when I think about this, this, this kind of obedience. Like how quickly, if I'm honest, how quickly I can run to, to a woe session, uh, 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 just to have a complete woe fest when things aren't going the way I planned in my life or in my job. And in our culture, maybe you can identify this. I, I, I think it's hard for us to imagine like working a job or even serving in an environment too long unless it's something we absolutely love all the time and have passion for. Do you guys relate to that? I was really convicted by this. How easily we can get so bummed out about life and feel like we're just not getting the fair deal. And I, and I think what James is getting at here, faith that leads to obedience to God, it, it makes and produces a very sacrificial life. And, and, and here's why I think, why? We live in a very broken world that God is rescuing. Not me, not you. We're all broken. And God's coming in to rescue. And there's a lot, when there's a lot of brokenness, there's a lot of healing. There's a lot of work that's going to be painful, that needs to be removed. And it's hard. It's very sacrificing. And, and I think there's a lot God needs to remove in order to work in us and through us. Abraham also mentions uh, in verse 25 another story, Rahab. For those of you who aren't familiar with Rahab, um, Rahab's story is told in Joshua 2, and she was living in Jericho, and she became convinced. She believed in the God of Israel, that he had, his power was working on behalf of Israel, and he was doing mighty works, mighty acts on, on their behalf. And she believed the God of Israel is the God, as it says in, in verse 11 in Joshua 2, in, in heaven above and in the earth below. She was convinced of that. And when these messengers or spies, if you actually read the story from Israel, came into Jericho, Rahab put them up and she hid them, even though her king of Jericho was searching for him. So she was putting her life on the line. And eventually she helped them escape by lowering them down on a rope and uh, onto a roof of her house, off of the roof of her house. She, she risked out of obedience. And, 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 to, and, and her belief, that action revealed a root belief that said, God was God even over the king of that nation and over God of the heavens and earth, and she was going to obey him. That's why James is using her as an example. Rahab's obedience reveals that she had true faith. True faith. And then in verse 24, James here is kind of tying it all together. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. When James uses faith alone, this is really important here. James is referring to the false faith that he's been talking about through the entire passage. He's not talking about, he's not having an argument with Paul. In fact, James wrote before Paul. They, that argument did not exist in this letter. So what he's talking about, when, when James uses faith alone, James, he's referring to all the dead, useless faith that isn't real faith because it's not producing obedience to Jesus. And what he's talking about here is a faith a person says they have, but it's, it's actually useless and dead. And James says works that are produced by faith, is necessary for justification. And what he means by that, a person's faith cannot stand on the day of judgment if there's no obedience, because it's not real faith. Works of obedience to Christ will be justified because it's based on real faith. It's all based on faith. That's what he's getting at here. And then in verse 26, oh, okay, thank you. 
That's awesome. I needed some. Thank you. It's that noticeable, huh? See, that's see how faith worked itself out right there? In verse 26, he closes, and he says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He keeps saying this. He's like, wow. He's like driving home this point. And the general analogy of the body with our spirit, the spirit animates bo- our bodies, right? Without the spirit, the body ceases to be. I don't know if you guys have ever seen an open casket before. There's something missing in that person. Uh, they're not there. They're, the spirit activates the body. And in the same way, faith, when it's not accompanied by work, it ceases to be. It's just mere profession. It's not real biblical faith. And James, what he's doing, he's not arguing that works are to be added to faith. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, we're going to say it again, faith works. Faith will produce obedience in Jesus. Just as the Spirit will animate our bodies to function, faith will produce obedience. And Paul teaches the same sort of faith. It's dynamic. It's a powerful force through which a believer is intimately united at one with God. Paul talks a lot about being united with Christ. When you come to faith, you are united to God through Jesus, and Jesus is our Lord. And that begins the embarkment of a, of a new relationship where he's the Lord of our life. And since faith is in a Lord, the need for obedience to follow faith is a part of the meaning of what Paul gets at there. And that's what James is saying. Uh, for example, Paul says in Romans 1.5, through whom... We have received grace, through Jesus we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Faith is to produce a kind of obedience within the body of Christ so that Christ would be known among all the nations. Paul's speaking the same thing as James. And here's the reality for us. Jesus has lived a perfect righteous life on our behalf so that by the spirit that he sent to be in us can give us a faith that produces action that will produce action for his name's sake. And I, what I want to say here for those of us this morning who desire to follow Jesus, if you're here this morning and you desire, you long to obey Jesus, I just want to encourage us. This is a very encouraging word that James is giving us. We get to go and bear fruit in a place of great confidence because faith will produce obedience in Jesus. If you have saving faith, true saving faith, you have a new heart that God gives us. He takes out, moves the heart of stone, and gives a heart of flesh. He gives us new desires to do it by the power of the Spirit. We are able to obey God. You have been, remi- you have been remade, brand new. As Krista was talking about the four questions, we have been given a whole new identity that is now fully capable to hear from God, speak to God, and respond to him in obedience. That's what we've been freed to do, as as Paul says in Romans 6. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness because we are owned by God. And Paul says this too in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's what God's prepared for us to walk in advance. If you feel like, if anyone here feels like you are not a part of the game with God, maybe it's because you look at your state of life, maybe you got a bunch of kids, you got a job maybe you're not, you don't want to be in, or you're just pretty bummed out about just, I don't know how well you're doing in school. I, I don't know where you might be right now. If you feel like you're out of the game, 
That's not from God. That's not possible. If you have faith in Jesus, you're in the game. Because faith in Jesus produces obedience to Jesus. It produces works. Every one of us is in the game. There's no one that can be out of the game. God puts all believers in the game. And I think that's why he uses Abraham and Rahab as an example. I think he's saying whether you're a patriarch of Israel or you're a prostitute, faith can be acted out. Because it comes from God. It's not about you or me. The fact that I'm up on stage, I've said this time and again, who I used to be and what God's maybe into be, it's completely his work. He gives faith and he produces through our faith works for his glory. It's him. It's all him. We can't doubt that. And here's the deal. I want to make this really clear. None of us have perfect faith. I sure as heck don't. If you walk with me through my life in any given day, especially now that I have my fourth little one at my home, if you put a video camera around my house, you would know Randy struggles with faith a lot. I absolutely do. But by God's grace, when I look over a few years here and a few years there, and I see what God's working in and through me, he's actually, he is absolutely growing me in faith. That is producing obedience. And it's super encouraging. And I, I, I want to like, encourage any of you guys, if you ever really look back at your past and see where God's brought you, that's a very encouraging thing to do. And how much, because what gets really exciting is the God who's God over all can grant us more faith and produce more obedience as we continue to submit to him and follow his ways. It's amazing. We're all in the game. One of the things, I mean, just to be really honest with you, that I feel like the Spirit's been growing me in is prayer. I mean, geez, I'm I'm thinking about, like, I've been through seminary and, you know, I've been a part of this church for a while. And I, I'll, be, I'll be really honest with you, not that I was ever going to lie, but just to, to emphasize my point, I, for the first time in the last year, I, I think I'm just starting to really understand prayer. I think so often it's easy for me to have God up there holding my hand and my prayers are like, oh God, will you just get me through this? God, I am so weak and needy. God, will you just, oh God, just help me. God, when I get up on stage, we just help me just get through this. So people, uh, I don't know, God, I'm just freaking out. We just help me. Or God, my kids, my, I'm not losing my mind. I don't know what to do. We just keep me sane. God, help me. I just don't know what to do. I'm about to lose it. This job's so hard. God, I'm so tired. I don't really love it. Sometimes, is this one supposed to, oh God, I'm just like, will you just help me right now? And, and now here's what I want to say. I'm not saying those words are bad because we're weak and we do need him. But what I'm saying is, if God says that he, through faith, will produce obedience in him. What I'm starting to learn is, as I'm in that weak posture, let us be humble before God, because we can do nothing apart from him. But my prayers would say, because of faith, I can't do it, because I am going to lose it on my kids, all right? I can't do this job, or I can't please you people. I can't. It's not what I'm supposed to do. But he can. That's what faith is. I can't, but he can. Then I'm going to ask him, to work, despite my feelings, despite my brokenness. God, I am weak and feeble, but you aren't. And you know where I'm at. And you know the situation. God, would you move? Because you say in your word to love. You say in your word to care. God, would you move? That's faith. that produces obedience. And I'm learning that for the first time. God's rescuing me. What prayer is. And the reason why I even, I, I even emphasize prayer um, Prayer, to me, in my mind, is the essence of abiding. And guys, I think God is leading us as a church, teaching us to abide. I can't wait to hear from Abe next week. John 15, 7, 11, uh, John says this. I think I quoted this last week. 
if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's just like, oh, it's that easy. It is. I don't think we believe that. I know I don't, but it is. This is our Lord speaking to us. He says, ask. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. He's going to bear fruit. That's how we know we're his disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. How often do we just sit and abide in hearing his love and hearing his voice of love and pleasure over us because of Jesus? Oh, man, what you said, uh, Nicole, it's not performance, how much we get entangled in that. and It doesn't allow us just to get with our Father and abide in his love. If we abide in his love, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God, don't miss this. This life of obedience is the best life. It's joy. Is it sacrificial and hard? Absolutely. There's nothing harder. There's nothing more sacrificing than following our Lord Jesus who suffered and died. Suffered and died. We are not better than our master, but it is the full life. It is the best life. God wants relationship with us in obedience. To be called a friend of God, like Abraham, that's amazing. Isn't that what we want? More relationship with God? And and, and I think what he's saying there with with John 15 is the question, like, this is why I find myself out, do I love his commands? Do I want to obey his commands? Because obeying his commands is walking in, in this abiding spirit where God is with me. He loves me. He cares for me. And, and this desire in my heart, I want to obey you. I want to do what you say because you're good. It doesn't always feel good, but God, you're good. And I want to follow you because God wants relationship with us. And the question we have is, do we want that? Do we want that? Because he wants it and he promises what he'll do with it. And this is why it's important why when we look at and and we hear about James talking about judgment on the day of judgment, which is in the context of this letter, why God would say to someone based on their life, I do not know you. Because a life that's built with a false faith that doesn't produce any obedience to Jesus is one that doesn't have any relationship with God. There's just no relationship. But a life based on faith that produces obedience, the foundation of it all is relationship. It's affection. It's intimacy with God. And that's what it comes down to. So if you're here and you desire to be obedient to Jesus, there's good news. Have great confidence. You get to ask. You might be here like, well, I don't get prayer that way. Well, you get to ask him to help you get prayer that way. Because he says pray. And he says he's the teacher of how you pray. So you get to even ask that. Just ask. He will do it. He will do it. He says it in his word. He will produce obedience. That pleases the Lord. That pleases Jesus. Do we want that? If you want it, ask. It is yours. If you don't want it, based on what James is saying, I want to caution you. You might not know God. If you do not desire to obey Jesus, you, Based on what James is saying, based on what the Bible says, you, do, you might not know God and have any relationship with him. And maybe you might know a lot of words to say that are true about Jesus, but you might not know him if you have no desire to obey Jesus. God wants all of you. He wants a relationship. As we close our time, we're going to 
hone in on this last part, which I'm going to just summarize for us. James 5, 19 to 20, as we close our series in James. James says, my brothers, if any one among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. And he's talking about the one soul who's being saved from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Sometimes it gets confused. He's not talking about the one pursuing. He's talking about the one that is wandering and is coming back. His soul will be saved from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As James closes his letter, he doesn't call people to merely bring themselves to obedience through the gospel, through faith, but rather he encourages them even to bring back any person among them, amongst their family who are wandering from the truth. I found it so interesting how community-based this life is and other-focused it is. The truth is, it's not merely Christian doctrine, just to be clear here when he says wander from the truth. The truth is both faith and obedience, as we've been talking about. It's not merely articulation. It's how you live your life in obedience to Christ. And this is someone who at least outwardly identified with the Christian community, and now they're being brought back to turn back away from lack of faith to a life of faith. And what I want us to, to, to sit with for a second is how if you're not living a life of faith and you're losing, living a life of, of false faith, the road we choose, the path we choose is ultimate death. And what he's referring to is a spiritual death. There is a day coming where there will be a, 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 we will sit before God. And all those who have put their faith in themselves or anything other than Jesus will suffer separation from God for eternity, which is the worst thing imaginable, is not to have access to God, not to have access to God. And James is saying, and, and, and I believe what the Spirit wants to say to us this morning, is, is, is it not what a wonderful thing we have, full access to God right now, right now, through Jesus, by faith alone, through Jesus. What a wonderful thing we have where God sets himself to lead us, to guide us, to produce obedience in and through us, and that there's other people that might not know him or are wandering way off the path or close to it because maybe they didn't really have him. And what a wonderful thing it would be to see them turn back, either for the first time or come back after a long time and, and be reacquainted with Jesus or meet Jesus for the first time and the wonderful experience that that is. Would we not then ask God who in our midst is wandering? Because the news is so good, the relationship is so real and so powerful. Let us look out for one another. Who in our midst are we have any concern for? Whether it's your, someone in your family or if it's a friend or it's a neighbor. If there's any question or there's any concern, absolutely we should move towards conversation and engagement around this. Where are they at with Jesus? Absolutely. Two things I just want to say with that, though. We don't get to pass judgment. We get to operate in mercy. 1 Corinthians 4.14 is really clear. God is the one who judges the heart. And I believe expectations are really, really key, clear here. There's wounds some of us have experienced. There's different parts of our story that are different than others. And so we got to come with the great, utmost wisdom that comes from above, gentleness and consideration. But we get to do it by abiding in Jesus and letting him lead us because he loves everyone and he has it all under control. And what I'd love for us to do in our time of response, I'd love to have you guys actually stand. I'd love to, to do this as we're listening to the Spirit before we take communion. Krista, you can, you can come up here.
I'd love just to take a second before we respond as, individu- as uh, individuals and as a body to uh, respond what God's telling us personally. I'd love for us just to, just we're going to take one minute. I want us all to listen to the Spirit and see if he puts anybody on your heart that he's wanting you to pursue. He's already on the pursuit of, and he's wanting you to join him in on that. I want to ask him right now, Holy Spirit, we are your people, bought by the blood of Christ, and I pray you would speak to us now. Anyone here that you are wanting us to pursue today, this week, because there is concern there, pray you'd give us people right now. Father, we pray that you, anything that you've revealed to any one of us, Lord, we, we trust that uh, you will lead and guide. I pray, help us to obey you, Holy Spirit. Help us to obey you. We love you and trust you, Jesus. In your name we pray.